everyone, happy 2021. I hope you have had a great start to the year and that you are ready to meet another inspiring story of one of our women leaders. Welcome to the fourth episode of this podcast. On this occasion, I have the pleasure to have Gerda Larsson, one of our Swedish NOVA members and basically a powerhouse with me. I am so excited to have a chat with her. But first, let me introduce her. Gerda is a strong advocate for gender equality, an innovation enthusiast and entrepreneur. She has had vast experience in the areas of NGOs and portfolio management, but she has also tried other disciplines as dancing. Currently, she is the CEO of her recently founded venture capital firm, Curitas Venture. Plus, she is a board member of many other firms, such as Estate FM Groups, The Case for Her, and Chela. This young NOVA member is driving change and dreams of being able to see during her lifetime many countries achieving the fifth sustainable development of gender equality. I would like to highlight that with her many initiatives, she has had experience investing in women's health and rights in Nepal, Uganda, Kenya, Rwanda, Georgia, the US, Germany, and my very own home country, El Salvador. Are you ready to hear her story? Welcome to Women Leaders, a podcast series by NOVA that uncovers inspiring leadership stories from the women of the NOVA network who are driving organizations, people, or simply themselves, from the way they found their career path to their ups and downs and their definition of success. These are their stories and advice. Sit tight and let's get inspired. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I like to start this, this podcast usually by asking my guests, how was Gerda at 14 years old and what were your aspirations back then? That's such a good question. Actually, when I thought about it, it made me smile because I seldom think about what I wanted to do and, and where that has gotten me. But definitely at the age of 14 was when when kind of it all started, it was when I found out about feminism and I started to see gender inequalities around the world. I started getting interested in international politics and, and looking at where I should go to high school. And I think I was 14 when I decided to go to high school somewhere where, where you could actually do more global studies. So I went to a special gymnasium in Sweden, where you focused on reading the history of the world, just in like any history lessons, but you, you took the perspective of maybe what would be called developing countries. So we read about the Second World War from the Algerian perspective, and we really thought about how different stories uh, about the world shape how we see it. And also in that, um, year of high school, we got to go for one month uh, to another country and do a project study. And I had heard that if you went to that school, you could go to Uganda uh, for one month. So of course I needed to apply. And I think that's actually where it all started at, at uh, some gymnasium in, in uh, Jakobsberg in Stockholm. Wow. So <laughs> Maybe you already had like that global perspective when you were 14 years old and you started to work toward like even a global career, right? Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, my dream was definitely to work at the UN. Um, 
I don't know. Back then, I thought everyone dreamed about going to the UN. So I thought I was just one one out of <laughs> all of the people that were going to try to get there. And I thought that, you know, I, I'll never maybe be the best. But if I'm among the best 20 percent, maybe I have a chance. Uh, so that was kind of what I struggled for and, and tried to do. But I also think it comes from just love. I love, love, love to travel. I think it's the best thing you can do if I have spare time. And that's that's how I spend all my spare cash and my spare time, actually. (laughs) Uh, So I think it came from from both an interest in how the world works, but also really an interest in just seeing new places and, and where where could you do that? When I dreamt about it, when I was 14, it was definitely the UN that was kind of the only place I could think about. And congratulations, because I know you made it, right? You, you, you worked for a while in the UN, but before going into that, that I know that you're gonna tell me, um, I, I do believe you you mentioned in a short interview that we had a written interview that you were a dropout and in some somewhere in the in the lines of this story. Can you tell me about um, a little bit more about that story and today how how do you feel about taking that decision? It's important to go with your own flow and your flow can be different than the system has counted for you. So actually the first time I dropped out of... Uh, was in high school. I dropped out of high school. I convinced my parents that I could move to Spain on my own to become a flamenco dancer at the age of 16. And uh, I got to go. I went down to Seville in southern Spain. Uh, I danced uh, intensively for 10 months, but kind of realized quite quickly that this wasn't a career for me uh, and came back and uh, started excelling much more in school, got greater grades, had new energy. And I think I thank my parents for being so smart that they actually let me go because I came back stronger. And directly after high school, I started university. And I think the same thing kind of happened there. Two and a half years in, I realized that I wasn't feeling... It is completely true that every single human being has their own path and timing. Here, Jared explains how she wasn't really feeling right during her first time in uni and it led her to many other opportunities. And a hint, remember the place she mentions she went to. I wasn't enjoying studying as much as I should have. I wasn't putting in the effort that I wanted to and I realized I needed a break. And I had always had a fascination with civil society development in, in, uh, in the Soviet, former Soviet Union countries, because so much has happened and so rapidly. So I started looking for things to do. And I ended up um, in Tbilisi, Georgia, working for a women's rights organization. And the reason I ended up there was just that I said, Yes, enough times. So I ended up somewhere and it happened to be in a place I loved and and also working with with passion questions of mine that are women's rights and gender equality. So maybe your career with women's rights and gender equality actually started in Georgia or was it or was it a little bit before? I would say that it real started in Georgia. I, I have definitely been interested in doing things around gender equality, but never with that as a main focus. I started an 
organization with free girls in my class at university because we needed a, a platform to express ourselves from and who would listen to four young students and, and female students even. So we decided to launch an NGO that worked on, on listening to young people and, and women in, when it came to urban and regional planning. But really, it was just a way for us to express ourselves and our views. But Georgia really introduced me to a lot of different issues. And, and I think my experience there has followed me through to today, because that's where I really found an interest in finance and, and maybe more how finance or, or, or donations or aid money was doing things wrong. Uh, and that has kind of sprung an interest for me that I still now work with. So you have had the chance to see it with your own eyes, how like NGOs work and how sometimes they don't use the, the funds correctly, right? Or, or what you say, like, it's not like that. In one way, yes. I, when I was working in Georgia, really close to the women's rights movements there, I could see how aid took a new way of of colonializing other countries. Uh, so through more of a knowledge colonization, we rule how to develop and how to do and what was the best and also what what goals were. We were actually pushing people to just follow in the footsteps of countries like Sweden. And development has to be rooted on a grassroots level. And I started thinking about what does the organizations uh, actually need and what do they want to see from donors and, and financiers. And I ended up writing my master thesis around that. Sadly, due to internet connectivity, I had to move rooms. And while doing so, we ended up talking about how donors and NGOs work. I don't have the full conversation, but I continue the podcast with a good piece on how she works as the one sponsoring NGOs now. And when I've been working as a donor, I've gone out and asked people, you know, what's a great donor to you? And then, of course, like some people would say, give us the money and don't look back. And you can't do that. <laughs> so yeah, that's a good donor. But like how I think. Pay attention on what Gerda says is her most powerful tool. The most powerful thing I have access to might not be money. It's my network because my network is worth so much more than me or any organization that I ever worked on. So as a funder or as an investor, the best thing I could do for a company is to contribute to a certain point and then contribute with my contacts and be able to expand their network so they can actually access the larger amount of funding. So I think that that's the most important thing I can do. And we forget that sometimes as funders. And actually, I, I wanted to point out that that is something that I found super impressive about you. And you have been like, a, you said, a funder and a, an investor and, and a funder. So that is something quite impressive. First, how have you been able to do both? Uh, and second, how, how did life let you to do both of those? <laughs> I think that's a good question. I, I think there, there are two parts uh, to getting where I'm getting. It's, it's one, having a little bit of luck. 
you have to have the luck to meet the right people that can support you and, and help you and that believes in you. But also you have to be smart and you have to show them that you have the competence uh, that they need. So for me, whatever I've been doing, I always wanted to be really good at it. And I think that that's been one of the winning things. And that when, when I was a student, you know, I sold bras in, in, in a lingerie store or sorting postcards at the post office and all of these different things. But I always wanted to be really good at it. And I found kind of a, a, a pride inside of me that it's not only to be good because then people would like you or, or, or you get more, you get a raise or anything. It's because I want to feel good in the end of the day about what I have done. And like, I think that that combination of, of, of fighting hard and trying your best and, and having a little bit of luck <laughs> is kind of the perfect place to be. Just going back a little bit on that, you mentioned that you have been working a lot on, on different organizations and NGOs, basically, in many different countries. And even in UN Women Sweden, like you have worked for women and that's like you have built your career around that. Um, and you told me that you found your passion very early in life when you were 14 years old. How did you make your, your passion a career? If you work with what drives you, you can you can achieve this position where where it's the best place to be. You know, you you're good at something, you're passionate at something, and you can find a way to actually get paid to do that. It's not always like that, but sometimes it is. And I mean, that's just a very fortunate uh, situation to be in. But I think I, I can always also find something that drives me within the different field that I've been in. I mean, right now, for example, I am launching a new venture capital firm and people ask me, but you've always been driven by, by such feminist beliefs. You know, why, why are you going into venture capital? Yeah, that's just why, because I, we need more women in this space. Like I'm in the venture capital space to make sure that people after me or women after me or non-binary people after me will have it easier because it is hard it is uphill it's very male dominated it's very male centric but that's like why i exactly want to be in that space and being 33 and a ceo of a venture capital firm is not uh, that common but hopefully you know in 10 years People will be like, that's not worth a NOVA position. That's not worth an interview in a podcast. That's just the way <laughs> things are. <laughs> that's what it's I want to achieve. like the standard. Like in yeah. the future, that's the standard. And you're working towards like making that case for all women. Like you're the yeah. first one doing it. And then the standard for all women. And that's something good. I have a little sister. She's 14 right now. And if you tell me that that that's your dream I want to do that as well for my little sister yeah. for my kids or etc for example I actually I have a 17 year old uh, little sister too and I, I I often think about that she's growing up in a very different world than I am but still you know there's not one country in the world that have achieved uh, the sustainable development goal number five, that is gender equality. And if you think about that, it's mind-blowing because some of the other goals have actually been achieved by several countries, but it's the only single one that hasn't been achieved by even one country in the world. 
So I wanted to, to talk a little bit about, because I know that you have done a lot of projects and the one that really caught my eye was the case for her. And I want to know how did that start and, and how is the project right now, if you can tell me a little bit about it. For sure. Starting the case for her has been one of the most amazing learning journeys I ever been on. Uh, so the case for her is a philanthropic investment portfolio investing in women's health. And uh, so I partnered with my two co-founders, uh, Christina Youngberg and Wendy Anderson, uh, two fantastic philanthropists. And we set out to try to change the way people uh, look at, at female uh, sexual and reproductive health. So we took on two of the most taboo sub subjects in the world, uh, menstrual health and female sexual wellness. And we started both for-profit investing, but also donating money to uh, great organizations or amazing companies that were working to change this. And the the, the organization, the case for her, uh, has achieved so much during the last four and a half years. We've both been working on elevating these questions on the global health agenda, getting people to talk about them, getting UN organizations uh, to lifting up and realizing, you know, how important this question is, getting large uh, companies to, to realize the importance. But Really, I mean, what it also gave, and I think it's very important to remember that I thought that I knew so much about my own body. But then when I started working at the case for her, I started learning that I knew nothing. Like I needed to be schooled again. And, and then you, you moved on to your own VC, which you just founded, right? Yeah, so one of my trips uh, to Georgia when I worked there, I sat next to a man. This was 10 years ago. So I sat next to a man on the airplane and I was playing chess on my computer and we were going down for landing and he started talking to me. I took my headphones off and yeah, I started talking to him too. And he started talking about that he was working with leverage buyouts and he was in private equity and I kind of... I guess I read in the news a couple of times, you know, about these things, but I, I never met anyone that had that kind of cash or worked in finance. But we started chatting. We had a great conversation. And when I walked off the plane, he knocked me on my shoulder and he said, by the way, I want to hire you when you come back uh, to Sweden. So I called him six months later. Uh, and I said, I'm going back to university because as I told you guys, I had dropped out <laughs> and, and I'm going to finish my degree. But of course, I would like to work for you. So he uh, asked me if I wanted to start taking care of his family's philanthropy. And I did that while I continued studying and, uh, and did a bunch of other things at, at the same time back then. But uh, I worked for him then off and on for, for about six years before I, I, I uh, co-founded the case for her. Uh, but uh, during this uh, spring and with the pandemic and, you know, everything's going on, uh, Mikael Alström, as his name is, he, he reached out and he asked if we should do something together again. Um, and first I felt like, no, I'm in such a good place. Uh, it's not my time to shift. But then he pitched the idea of starting a VC together. And 
I started thinking about the impact that I could have and the impact that I was speaking about before and really moving into a very male dominated sector and and trying to achieve change by placing myself in in the center of uh, of an unequal world. Um, So I I decided to take him up on his offer. And right now we're launching something called Curitas Ventures. And that's going to be a VC uh, that invests in uh, what's called disruptive technology. So things that disrupt disrupt the way we usually do things. Uh, Life science, which um, includes medicine and med tech and and, uh, uh, similar things. And then also uh, invest in sustainability. So looking at irrigation systems, at... um, electric cars and similar things. I just wanted to finish with four questions that I usually do to my to my sure. guests. How have you been able to do it all, to work with so many cool initiatives at the same time? And if you have any particular advice for women out there who would who want to do many, many stuff and learn as much as you're doing it as well? That's a great question because I don't think I ever seen it as, doing a lot of things simultaneously but I know other people see it that way Uh, sometimes when people ask me that question I answer well I don't have hobbies (laughs) so maybe that's why but I think there's something to it when you work with something that you're passionate about you know it's not it's not an everyday job I I don't go to work at eight or nine and then I you know clock out at at five or six I it's a lifestyle choice I would say so when you have that approach everything just get intertwined and 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 you work when you don't work and you always work and yeah you kind of always on and I think that's one of the ways that I made it happen but then I think like you should always think about surrounding yourself with just great people And there's a quote, unfortunately, I don't know who said it first. You should uh, surround yourself with women that would mention your name in a room full of opportunities. And I think that that's so true. So I've been very fortunate that to work around people that always been promoting me and by them believing in me, I believed in myself that I could do things. Uh, When Mikael asked me when I was 24, to become the CEO of one of his organizations, I said, I don't know uh, how to do that. I don't even know what you do as a CEO. And he said, well, why don't you take the job and I'll teach you? So he believed in me and that made me believe in myself that I could do it. Listen to the next piece of advice. It is something that you can definitely start applying today. But then also always be like curious, ask questions. Don't be afraid of asking for opportunities. There's uh, a lot of interesting things happening around everywhere. If you figure something out, you know, call people up and say, hey, how can I help you? I try to end most of my conversations with asking if there's anything I can do to support people, because I think that also comes back to you. When you give your time and and support to others, people will like-mindedly think of you when an opportunity arises. I would like to ask you as well, in your words, how would you define success? Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a hard question. I'm happy. I like 
getting up in the morning. I like going to work and I would say that that's success to me. Success can also be so different, but also like other things. Work isn't everything, you know, having my friends that support me, having the friends that challenge me and having my partner, like um, being able to do what I do, being able to being privileged in the way I am. There's so many things that leads up to, to what we call success. When you surround yourself with great people, you know, it's going to take you somewhere. If you could speak right now with your younger self at like a 20-year-old or 22, 23-year-old Gerda, what would you tell her? Well, I think I would actually tell her to uh, not be so afraid of doing wrong and to earlier on realize that I don't actually have the right answers for things. Asking questions is the best way to learn. And I think, yeah, I would just tell myself that, that it's okay. Life is not that scary. And, and, and if you accidentally say the wrong thing or fall over in a presentation, it won't, it won't hurt you. It won't even <laughs> affect the way people see you. You, you are the only one that will remember, kind of. <laughs> and just to wrap up the last question, if you, if you could give any piece of advice to someone who want to, wants to work in venture capital, and have built a career based on their passion just like you are doing i often just try to connect with people i think that's the best way uh, to figure out where to go or how to learn or ask for advice and i think that if you invite someone out for lunch and ask if you could pick their brain for 45 minutes or if you call someone and you just say hey I need 30 minutes of your time. I'm thinking about doing this. I don't know which way to go. Like is, is, is left or right better, kind of. And people will actually give you that time. As we talked about earlier, it, the networking, like if, if there's someone on my LinkedIn you want to know, reach out. Uh, tell me that you want to know that person and I'll make the introduction. It's not harder than that, actually. Thank you. Gerda, I, I must say that it was lovely to talk with you and to pick your brain right now. <laughs> it was so nice to meet someone who, ha who is so passionate about women and you want to make the world a better place in the end. And, and that's something that really stuck with me since the beginning of our small uh, text interview. And thank you for your time. Thank you a lot. Thank you for having me. And uh, I know you will also reach all the success that you want to in your life. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed recording it. I feel very fortunate that I got to meet Gerda and that we discussed so many interesting topics. I am happy to meet someone who is working for the future of women with such passion and conviction. It was great to hear her story and to be reminded that every single person has her own timing, gain advice on how to do it all and make your own passion your career, and the importance of leveraging your network. Stay tuned for more episodes with more amazing and inspiring stories here at the Women Leaders Podcast. NOVA is the global, by invitation only, top talent network that connects high potential individuals amongst themselves and with the best professional opportunities. We create these connections through in-person events and through our online platform, which we call NOVA Connect using data and algorithms 
to make the connections relevant for our members and partner companies.